Yeah, Psalm 107 is where we're going to be. If you don't know where the book of Psalms is, there's no shame in that. Um, it's uh, the book of the Bible that takes up the most amount of pages, and it's like almost right in the middle. So if you just open to the middle and start thumbing around, you should find the Psalms somewhere, okay? Psalm 107 is where we're going to be. Um, <clears throat> so this summer at Sedaris, we've been working through the Psalms. Uh, we've been working through the Psalms, uh, a sermon series in the Psalms, and we're asking two questions of the Psalms. What does this Psalm teach us about prayer? Uh, the Psalms are a book of prayer. Um, and what does this psalm teach us about life? Because the psalm, or the, in the psalms are not just prayers. In the psalms, we actually find um, prayers connected to real life events, okay? And, and that's really what life is, or that's really what prayer is. It's always connected to real life, okay? So we ask, uh, what is this teaching us about prayer, and what is this teaching us about life? And what we're finding as we read more and more of these psalms is that the prayers, uh, that life often points us to prayer, right? But in turn, prayer points us back to life. That, that when we dive down into prayer, we actually find a, a more full, complete expression of what it means to be alive, of, of what um, joy looks like, of what an experience of fullness actually looks like. And so that's what we're doing in these psalms. And, and we've already gone through like a psalm of praise a couple weeks ago. We did a psalm of confession last week. And these are broad categories in the psalms. There's lots of psalms of each of these. And this week we're, we're doing a psalm of thanksgiving here. And there's about a dozen or so psalms of thanksgiving, um, psalms of thanksgiving throughout the book of psalms. And, and Psalm 107 is a special one. Psalm 107 is a very special psalm. Okay, and this is, this is why. Because it's all about thanksgiving. Uh, look at it in verse one with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The psalmist is asking us to give thanks. He's saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he ha- whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and the west and the north and from the south, okay? So this, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. And then the psalmist goes over four different scenarios of why people have, or really how people have been delivered, how God has delivered people out of four different scenarios. And then he closes it with a conclusion that really speaks to the why behind thanksgiving. Why? Why is it important that we have a, a lifestyle that's, that's marked by, by thanksgiving? And, and he ties it here at the end. Look at it in verse 43. Um, he closes his whole psalm with whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So here we have a, a psalm, a prayer, that ends in a little proverb thing and attaches um, thanksgiving to wisdom. Thanksgiving to wisdom. Our, our psalmist is saying that the wise person is the thankful person, not just the happy person, not just the person who has experienced the love of God, but, but the, the wise person is thankful, okay? And so what we're going to do is, is we're going we're gonna to go and look at each one of these four stories in fairly abbreviated fashion here. Um, we're going to unpack what they look like and uh, these four scenarios. And what I want you to do while we go through these is I want you to be thinking in your own head um, about what are some ways that you've seen these scenarios present themselves in your own life. Um, Because as as I was preparing over the week and as I was reading through Psalm 107 in these four scenarios, I was like, man, I've experienced that, 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 and all in like the last six months, (laughs) okay? And and so there's an element here where these are scenarios that aren't just salvation-focused, although they definitely include that. 
but they also incorporate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus altogether. All right? So that's the flow we're going to do. We're just going to do the four stories, and then we're going to come back to it. And in that conclusion, the author unpacks why. How is this tied to wisdom? Okay? So that's the flow. We're going to go through the four stories, and then we're going to look at the tie to wisdom. All right? Pick up the first scenario with me in verse 4. The psalmist has a scenario here. He says, he or she says, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So, so here the author is saying, uh, he's presenting a scenario of people who are wandering about in a desert. They're, they're wandering about and they're looking for food and drink and they can't find any. And once they cry out to God in their trouble, this is a phrase that's repeated in each of the four stories. Once they cry out to God in this trouble of having no food and no drink, God leads them to a city where they can find sustenance again. That's what happens. That's what happens. And, and, and this is a, a metaphor for really all, all who would wander in the world. Everyone, I'm, I'm sure everyone here has, has done this or can point to a time in their life where, yep, that's what I was doing. We, we wander in the world and, and we look to fill our satisfactions and our desires with the world. And, and it, it comes down to the point where we realize, you know, I'm not getting life here. I'm actually still hungry. I'm actually still empty. I actually still need uh, sustain to, to be sustained. And so we, we cry out to God, and, and he delivers us. And he delivers us out of that. And the psalmist says here that there's something about God, that, this, that the, God's action in doing this tells us about him, okay? It's here in verse 9. He says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The hungry soul he, gets, he fills with good things. And so in this experience, people who come to God and they find him delivering them, they actually find, they find sustenance, they find food, they find real drink. God brings them to a city, whether um, that be his word or his church, where they can find true sustenance off of him. <clears throat> That's what happens. Okay, and, and this is a very broad experience, and, and Peter actually picks up on this. this. This was probably written around 700 years before Christ. But one of uh, Jesus' disciples picks up on this after he's uh, dead and, and, and risen again in First Peter here. Peter says, uh, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying, wandering. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, so, so this is part of our experience here of, of wandering, looking for sustenance, not finding it, crying out to God and him giving it to us. And the psalmist says, let them, what does he say? He says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. In verse 8, this is something he's going to repeat in each scenario as well. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Can you think of a time in your life when, you, when this happened, when you felt this wandering come to an end and you found the sustaining presence of God? This is an invitation to be thankful for that, okay? The, scenario number two here, okay? Pick it up in verse 10. Psalmist says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. This is a scenario where, where God's people um, were following him, but then for some reason or another rebelled against his word. They rebelled against uh, the, the, the way that God had called them to live in the world. There's examples of this throughout Israel's history. And then they experienced um, the discipline of God. For Israel, it was actually direct, direct slavery to other, to other nations. Um, and the discipline of God is a pretty intense topic, and if that's hitting you hard, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, we actually unpacked it at length last week in our sermon, um, so if, if you want more kind of discourse around that, feel free to go to our, our sermon from last week. Um, it's, it's on the app, and, and listen through that. It kind of unpacks it with more length and more, kind of, with more nuance. But, for, but they're experiencing this from God, and then they cry out to God, and he delivers them. He delivers them again. And the psalmist makes sure to point us to what this tells us about God, too. In verse 16, he says, For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of man. The psalmist here is saying that that this shows us how powerful and able God is to save. That no matter what circumstance these people are now in, that God can save them and, and, and and liberate them and give them freedom once again, no matter what it is. Um, and so it's no surprise that we actually see Jesus talking about this in a very similar method when he shows up on the scene as a direct extension of God's saving and liberating work. Um, let's go to the next verse here. In Luke, Jesus says this. This is, kind of, this is how he announces uh, his ministry in, in Luke. This is how he says, hey, I'm here on the scene doing work. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so experiencing the freedom of of God that comes through Christ is really part of anybody's story who would call themselves a Christian. And and this psalmist is saying, look to God in thankfulness for that. Remember the slavery that you were in and the freedom and liberty that you now experience by the gospel of Christ. All right, and and how when you you reached out and cried out to him, you experienced him as a powerful savior. Okay, scenario number three here. It starts in verse 17. He says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their inequities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Um, That that word there at the beginning of verse 17, it says iniquities. Because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. Uh, That's also translated in sin in some translations here. And this is a a picture, the psalmist is telling a picture of of a group of people who, um, in in their experience and, and wandering away from God, experienced sin and its consequences. 
And, and once they turn to God and cry in their affliction, God does not only bring them back to him, he actually heals them of their consequences. It says it right there in verse 20. He sent out his word and he healed them. And, and so scenario three is, is a picture of how God heals his people who come back to him of not only their sin, but also of the consequences and the effects of it. Um, so, and there's a, there's a, a piece here that, um, that uh, Jesus talks about too. There's, a, there's actually a story here that shows that directly in the gospel account of Mark. Okay, um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard this, okay. It says, and they came, bringing him a paralytic, a, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. The conversation goes on. I, I, I cut out a little bit of it, but then down in verse 11, it, Jesus says again, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You see, Jesus' salvation goes deeper than our spirituality. It goes directly to our physicality as well. God just isn't concerned with saving our spiritual souls. He's concerned with saving all of us and redeeming all of us and healing all of us. And so that's what this third scenario is referring to here. All right? The, the invitation here is to be thankful that God heals his people. The fourth scenario uh, in verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works of the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, <clears throat> which lifted, the, lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You see, a storm came about for these merchants who were on the ships. They were doing their business, uh, selling things, trading things across the waters. A storm comes up, and they're fearing for their lives. And it says here that they're at their wit's end. Um, literally, the, the Hebrew reads, they, they, they ran out of wisdom. They exhausted their wisdom. Their own wisdom was emptied. Um, have you ever felt like that? That there's a circumstance in your own life that all of a sudden you didn't have any wisdom for? It's like, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm at my wit's end. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He answered them, and he delivered him, and that's what he does for his people. This is a call to thank God in the circumstances that we cry out to God for in our life. This is to cry out to him and ask him to deliver us, and he did that. Okay, so he's done that uh, for for me many times in life. I'm sure he's done it for you many times in life, and hopefully you can think of a couple of those. Um, and now we're at this conclusion, okay? This conclusion that answers the why. Those are the four scenarios. We're at the conclusion that, that really asks, answers the, well, why should we be thankful? Why, why should we live a life of thanksgiving? Um, 
Because if you're anything like me, this is something that can fall by the wayside, honestly. It's just like, oh, I haven't thanked God much lately. And, and we really see why here. Um, pick it up with me in verse 35. We have a picture of all the people God's redeemed and delivered from the north, the south, the east, and the west. That's what it says in verse 3. And now they're all together in a city, okay? And it says, uh, he, that's God, turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and, and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. So here we have all the, the people have been redeemed and delivered. They're with, they're with each other in this city. Things are going great. But something happens here in verse 39. It says, when, when they are diminished and brought low, so that's a change of tone, right? Through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless, in trackless wastes. So something happened here. The people of God are no longer flourishing. In fact, they're being oppressed. Calamity and sorrow have swept in. And it's clear that it's because the people uh, have power in the city. They're oppressing the people again. And so now, it's, now God comes in and, and disciplines them. You know, they're, they're oppressing the rest of the people, and, and they're doing this because they've discarded thankfulness themselves. They, they've lost their thankfulness to God. They've, they've lost the thankful lifestyle. You see, without thankfulness, we actually become um, arrogant, self-centered. We, we begin to believe that we've received everything on our own. And, and what thankfulness does and it, is it keeps our heart in right relationship with the giver of all gifts, God. So thankfulness directly fights covetousness is kind of a, a shorthand way to say it. Thankfulness fights covetousness in our life. This is why the author ties it to wisdom, because deep in our human nature is this, where we just focus on what we don't have. That's covetousness. If, if, if we're do, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we do this often, but when we engage thankfulness, we actually completely flip the, uh, the line of reasoning in that. When we're thankful, we're all of a sudden focusing on what we do have and what God has given. We're no longer focusing on what we don't have. So what the author of the psalm is saying here is that a lifestyle of thankfulness is actually uh, way more, it goes far deeper than just um, stubborn positivity. It's not just forcing yourself to, to think good thoughts all day, all, all the time, all day, all the time. It's, it actually keeps us from arrogance, self-centeredness, and covetousness that are really the seed motivations that drives people to take advantage of other people. So thankfulness, rather a, a lifestyle of thankfulness, it, it guards against and is victorious over the darkest parts of our humanity. That's why it's directly tied to wisdom, all right? So um, at this point, you're gonna grab that sheet of paper that you already wrote on, you're gonna flip it over onto the other side, okay? Um, and we're gonna enter into another instrumental time here. 
um, where the band's going to come on up and they're going to lead us into a, another instrumental time. Um, Nolan said they were going to do that, and I was like, oh, cool, that'll be great. But these guys are super gifted and talented. That was awesome, guys, and looking forward to that again. Um, so flip over that piece of paper that you were working with earlier, and we're going to do a, a, another exercise. Um, I, I want you to write down one or two of those scenarios in your own life that may have popped up that you resonated with when we went through these four scenarios, okay? Pick one or two of those uh, scenarios, and I, I want you to write down um, three things that are tied to them, okay? I want you to write down the specific trouble that you were dealing with. I want, to, I want you to write down like what, what it actually looked like when you cried out. What did it look like when you cried out to God in your trouble? And then the third thing, I, I want you to, to think about and, and write out how God delivered you from your distress, okay? So those three things. Um, the specific trouble, how you cried out, and how God delivered you. Um, and then, if, if you can, as a bonus, take a minute to try to tie that to, to something about God that, that is true, if, if he did that for you. Uh, just like the psalmist does here in, in the first two scenarios. He says, well, that means that God is a sustainer, and that means that God is powerful. What does that mean about God? Okay. And then, and then take some time during this last worship set. They're, they're only going to play, but then they're, they're going to do a, an instrumental for a couple minutes, but then they're going to do a couple songs. Take some time to express that thankfulness to God in this last worship set, okay? Um, and then after this worship set, what we're going to do is um, we're going to have open mic. This is kind of a risky. You're supposed to never do this as a church, but whatever. Um, we're going to have open mic time, and um, we're going to give uh, you guys the opportunity to come up and, and share that, that story, that trouble, and that, uh, that crying out and that deliverance with the rest of the church. Because what, what happens when we can point to God's deliverance in our lives and, and express thanks to him is it, it not only encourages us, that story actually has power because it, it encourages the church. It has power because it's tied to God's power and what he did in your life. And so we're going to have an extended time of um, open mic. And, um, I, and so if some of you, of you would think about that, um, maybe perhaps you already feel God calling you to, to share what he's brought you through already and that's okay. It's going to be an extended time, and so there will be time for a few people to be able to share. All right? Great. So take it away, Nolan. Thanks.